Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first looks. I said I wasn't going to do a first look for For the Greater Good, and here I am doing a first look for For the Greater Good. How many times can I say For the Greater Good? Probably a couple more before this episode is over. The reason why I was thinking about not doing a first look for this pack was one, because I'm pretty sure I know ten of the cards, and we'll see that when we get into it, and I was thinking, well, there won't be any more cards than that. And then also, distribution has been really weird in the UK this cycle. We only got Secret Name the same day as Wages of Sin, and we got Wages of Sin, I think, a week after the US. So we got a pack five weeks late and then a pack a week late. And then for the greater good, I've only got very recently, and that's a week after release as well. So it makes first looking quite weird because I sort of go into this weird quarantine of avoiding spoilers as they get spoiled. And I've just seen in the last day that Union and Disillusion has also already been spoiled. I've barely opened my for the greater good pack, and here I am already nearly spoiled and managed to look away for that pack. So... I mean, it raises big questions for me about, is it worth trying to first look? Is there a useful purpose beyond me just wanting to avoid spoilers, which I can do, like, irrespective of producing content for Arkhamora? Yeah, it um, it's, it's made me wonder, basically. So if you're a fan of first looks or you think that they serve a useful purpose, let me know, because I sort of just carry on doing them and hope people like them. Certainly from the episode download numbers, they don't seem to be any different from the other numbers we get for other episodes. So that seems positive. But yeah, maybe there's something I'm missing about why they're worthwhile. Maybe there's more we could do about having that conversation around uh, avoiding looking at spoilers and really judging cards once we actually have them in our hands and can put them in decks. Okay, enough proselytizing. Let's flip this pile. The first card is, yes, I thought so. It's the 45 Thompson Guardian version, which is a 3 XP Guardian card, costs 6 resources, it's an asset, and it's got 2 combat icons. Uses 5 ammo. Ammo spent from 45 Thompson is placed in your resource pool as resources. Spend 1 ammo fight, you get plus 2 combat and deal plus 1 damage for this attack. So you're spending 6 resources to get 5 resources back, slowly but surely. And it's lost the flavour. What was the flavour on the original? I've been quite clever here and I've actually brought out the multiclass cards from two packs ago so I can compare. So I can see it's gained the icon and then it's gained this text about ammo spent from the 45 Thompson is placed in your resource pool as resources. I like that a lot. I mean, particularly with uh, the, the synergy that this card has with Active Desperation where people have already been talking about how do you recoup a six resource investment. And then this one is saying, well, you you spend six to get five. Obviously, it's not going to set the world alight in terms of how much you're generating. But what if you then also spent two for extra ammo and put that on this and then contrabanded it? You'd start to be making a return for your Thompson. Pretty good. I, I like I like that. Even Venturer. Venturer is four cost for three more ammo. So that's 10 cost combining the two of them, and you're getting eight resources back. Like, that's good. The idea of resource generation in a weapon for a Guardian, seriously good. Okay, so yeah, I like that. I think that's cool. And the next card is the 45 Thompson Rogue version. <laughs> also lost the flavour used by both gangsters and police officers. The fully automatic Thompson submachine gun was favoured due to its accuracy and high volume of fire. 
This is only five cost now, so it's saved a resource, and it's got combat and agility icons. It's gained an agility icon. Item, weapon, fire on illicit, so Preston can't take it, unfortunately. It uses five ammo, same. Action, spend one ammo, fight, you get plus two combat and deal one plus one damage for this attack. If you succeed by at least X, you may spend one ammo to deal this attack's damage to another enemy at your location where X is that enemy's fight value. Um, sorry, what? Record scratch? If you succeed by at least X, you may spend one ammo to deal this attack's damage to another enemy at your location where X is that enemy's fight value. Okay, so I'm engaged with a ghoul minion to fight. I take a shot at it, but also at my location is the ghoul priest. And I'm a, say it's skid, so I'm a five on two, and I draw the elder sign, so I'm a seven on two. So I've succeeded by five, so I've succeeded by at least four, so I could do my damage instead to the ghoul priest. My head is immediately going to, oh, and look at the art, the stock on the gun has been engraved. Nice, Robert Lasky. Okay, so I'm, I'm immediately going to situations where you don't want to attack low fight enemies for whatever reason. But somehow you want to... Huh. Head scratcher. This is a weird one. What situation... I mean, maybe you're taking shots at enemies engaged with you. So, yeah, let, let's let's pick a situation, a situation that's multiplayer. There are maybe multiple enemies at your location. You don't want to take shots at the ones engaged with other people. So your plan is, I'll kill the thing engaged with me, then I'll take the thing engaged with you off you, and then I'll start shooting it. And you take a shot and you kind of luck out. So then you go, right, I'll just do the damage to your one because I can evade my one, or, or whatever it is. I'll do the damage to your one because it's a double or nothing hit, and I'm actually going to do four damage and kill that enemy yeah some something like that i suppose it also feeds into the idea that if you're playing feast or famine rogue and chucking in multiple cards if you've succeeded by a high margin being able to kind of pick and choose where the damage goes is good yeah that's all i've got with that not sure anymore i I like it though i like it and now we're into the the thrust of you know the main meat of this pack which i think is eight cards all of which have already been announced. So next is the Seeker Scroll of Secrets. It's got two intellect icons. It's a one-cost asset for three XP. It's item and tome traded, so the action on it, Daisy gets as a free action. It uses three secrets. Exhaust Scroll of Secrets and spend one secret. Look at the bottom three cards of any investigator's deck or the encounter deck. You may discard one of those cards. You may add one of those cards to its owner's hand. Place the rest of those cards on either the top or bottom of their deck in any order. So I look at the bottom three cards of someone's deck, I'm essentially drawing them a card, maybe chucking a weakness away for them, and then saying, where do we put this last card? All for an action. Pretty good. Compared to the level zero version, which was just looking at a single card, this becomes a kind of inverse scrying, which seems reasonable. I particularly like the idea of finding this with a research librarian, getting it into play cheaply, and using the actions for free. It's, uh, I suppose it's if you don't want to run Old Book of Law, or if you want to do something around secrets, this is an option. So that's that's pretty cool, yeah. And the Mystic version is also 3xp, also one cost. It's willpower and intellect icon, so it's gained a willpower icon. This one uses four secrets. Action, exhaust, scroll of secrets, and spend one secret. Look at the top or bottom card of any investigator's deck or the encounter deck. Then either discard that card, add it to its owner's hand, place it on the bottom of its deck, or place it on top of its deck. For 3 XP, you're gaining an icon, 
a secret, and the option to look at the top or bottom card of a deck? This I'm less convinced by, but maybe it's just that I haven't found a suitable home for it. It's not spell-traded, so Marie can't get free actions from it. She could run Research Librarian and find this card very quickly and get it down. And that idea of looking at the bottom card of, of one's deck, unless you're getting a draw out of it, I'm not entirely convinced that's useful. Maybe there's an occasion where moving something in the encounter deck will be very useful, but that at the moment feels like a particularly niche application. So I'm left somewhat wondering. I wonder if there's something to, that you could do with Norman and this card, because Norman already has some interaction with cards on decks. But yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I remember way back in the corset days playing Daisy and using Scrying to set up my next three turns of the encounter deck, but that felt very slow. And this is not even as speedy as that. So yeah, odd. Next up, it's the second rogue card in the pack. It's Tennessee Sour Mash. This is three cost asset, like the level zero version, but it's three XP. It's a willpower and a combat icon. It's item and illicit traded, and it says fast uses two supplies. So it's gained fast. Exhaust Tennessee Sour Mash and spend one supply. You get plus three willpower for a skill test on a treachery card. The level zero was only plus two willpower. Action, discard Tennessee Salmash, fight, you get plus three combat for this attack, and deal plus one damage. So it's gained damage as well. So you're spending three XP for an icon, fast, which is nice, and uh, two plus three boosts for willpower, and then a plus three combat and a damage boost. I think it's pretty reasonable. For Finn, in particular, he can find it with smuggled goods. If he's playing fence, he can get it into play for two cost or maybe even one cost. And then he's got willpower four for two tests, which is like perfectly respectable. And he fights at six to do two damage to a you know a weenie creature once this has run out of supplies. It also strikingly doesn't take up any slots, so you can get this down at some point. And you're not thinking, oh, I need to use both of those supplies so that I can then throw it away because I need my hands free for lock picks or whatever else it is. You, you don't need to worry about that. You just use them when you use them. If you see an opportunity to chuck the bottle at someone, then great. I love that there's a little shot glass that's appeared in the art. It's very cool. And the survivor version is only two cost. It's got willpower and agility icons. It uses three supplies, so it's gained a supply and there's more liquor in the Tennessee Sour Mash. You can exhaust Tennessee Salmash and spend on supply. You get plus two willpower for a skill test on a treachery card. So the same boost as the level zero version. And as an action, you can discard Tennessee Salmash fight. You get plus three combat for this attack. If this attack succeeds against a non-elite enemy, automatically evade it. I like the thought of Rita using this. She's at five willpower for a couple of tests. And well, for three tests. And then she's a six fight. And if she gets the evade, she gets an extra damage or an extra move anyway. Feels like a nice fit for Rita. Maybe a nice fit for Silas as well. Shore up the willpower there. Probably not as good a fit for Wendy. She fights at four with this. But could even be a useful thing for someone like Calvin, where maybe you're worried about taking horror later on and using this to boost, something like that. I suppose if you're very high on horror already, your willpower is very high. So maybe the application is slightly less useful there. Even Yorick, to be fair, likes this as well. Yorick's a five willpower with this, can replay it from the bin, and 
The attack with a combined evade is not too bad for Yorick, depending if he's like managing lots of enemies. He's got ways of adding damage in Guardian as well. So yeah, I like it. I like it. I think the slotless nature of the Sour Mash really endears me to those two cards. I mean, deck space is always tight. That's a kind of Arkham podcasting cliche now that you would say deck space is tight. But if you have the spare XP, putting in something like this to shore up willpower in two factions that aren't renowned for being willpower hound dogs is great. And then they kind of do their thing in a reliable, unflash way. And that just feels... Yeah, I'm, maybe it's my playstyle. I prefer to get cards down that just slow and steady win the race than put something down that's a mega bomb. But yeah, some, something about that just seems reasonable to me. Maybe it's also that it's a nice, broad-use card, so you're not just putting in, say, a card to shore up willpower. You've got other options to use that card in a pinch, which is good. Okay, what's next? Ah, yeah. Um, well, the next is the Enchanted Blade, and... Yeah, unfortunately, another podcast has already announced these cards. They, I mean, God, if you've heard it, I'm going to apologize from all of the podcasting community for the quality of their broadcast, because to be frank with you, and that is my name, it was a miserable affair, but the cards have also been announced. So it's my duty and it's one of the things I signed up for as a podcaster to say that you can actually hear about this card from another cast. So yeah. Just kidding. Anyway, uh, Mythos Busters announced the Enchanted Blade. Those dreadful boys in the Mythos Busters crew. So the Enchanted Blade splits into Guardian and Mystic versions. Both three costs, so no playing around with, with the cost. Still the Hand and Arcane slot being held up. What are the differences? Well, the Mystic one has gained a willpower icon, which is great, and the Guardian one has gained an intellect icon. The Mystic one has also gained a charge, so it's uses four charges, and the Guardian one is uses three charges. And then they've both got a fight action, gives them plus two combat for each. For the Guardian one, it says, if you succeed, you may spend one charge to empower the blade, dealing plus one damage for this attack. If the blade is empowered and this attack defeats an enemy, Draw one card and heal one horror. So compared to the level zero version, that was just a plus one combat, and you had to spend a charge as an additional cost to initiate the ability. It wasn't something you could do after the fact when you know you already hit. It would then get you up to plus two combat and deal plus one damage, but essentially you're picking ahead of time. And I actually saw a player in Oxford, I went to play in Oxford, using the Enchanted Blade and pulling Elder Sign as Zoe, so ending up doing three damage to a two damage, a two health enemy and wishing that they hadn't used the charge to empower the blade because they basically did too much damage. But you can't plan for that ahead of time. You've got to, you've got to pay the cost if you want to do it. So for the Guardian version, you can take the stab. You're stabbing at six, maybe, maybe seven. And if you succeed, you're then like, okay, great. I'm spending a charge now to kill this guy. Or in Zoe's case, oh, I've, I've done the damage I need to do. Maybe you're going to take two stabs anyway, so you just do a one damage hit first and then spend a charge. The other thing you can do that I think is really potent in the Guardian version is that if you know the attack is going to kill an enemy, you can empower the blade to get a card draw out of it and heal a horror out of it. And that, to me, is really cool. As another Guardian weapon adding exciting, different abilities for Guardians to play with, 
this is really cool. So compared to the 45 Thompson, where you're getting resources as you spend ammo, really nice. And then you've got this Enchanted Blade, where you've got this option for card draw and horror healing. Most Guardians, bar Carolyn, run low on the Sanity Pool. So a little option for one or two is great, and most Guardians have really worked quite hard at finding ways of managing their Sanity. You might end up upgrading into this and then not use something like something worth fighting for or first aid or whatever else it is for your sanity you might even run a little bit less willpower shoring up cards because you can use this to heal up your horror anyway pretty decent yeah i like it in terms of the slots most guardians aren't using their arcane slots so this doesn't tax that at all a a decent one-handed weapon as for the Mystic version, this has four charges, so it's gained a charge, and its additional ability is as an additional cost to use this ability, the fight ability, you may spend up to two charges to empower the blade. For each charge spent in this way, you get plus one combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. So I could just fight regularly at plus two combat, dealing one damage, or I can fight at plus three combat and deal two damage, or I can fight at plus four combat and deal three damage. I am so on board with the ability to tally how much damage output I need to do. I love playing the BAR exactly for that reason. Ah, it's a four health enemy, spend four ammo. Or my custom ammunition bar and it's a monster enemy, spend three ammo and I'm going to get bonus. Or I've got a vicious blow in hand. You've got all of these combinations where you can manage all the different resources you have. Ammo, cards in hand, boosts everything else to do what you need. This is similar in Microcosm. It's obviously a much smaller version. There are somewhat fewer ways of adding charges. You could recharge this, but that's more or less it. I think Spirit Speaker only works with spells, with uses charges, not just with anything. It might... No! Spirit Speaker works with Grotesque Statue. So Akachi could pull this back. So she fights at a five normally with this. She could keep pulling it back and replaying it if she needed to. But yeah, I I like the flexibility there. Obviously, if you're doing two plus four combat plus three damage hits, you're spending three cost and three XP to have that in your deck. That's not necessarily stellar, but maybe you're running this as a... You're either alongside combat spells or maybe you're the third or fourth person in a party and this is just one of your options. I think also maybe Diana likes this. If she's waiting to build up her willpower, this gives her a pretty strong way of fighting. She might even be running prepared for the worst to fetch the Twilight Blade and then now the Enchanted Blade. That seems, yeah, kind of cool for Diana. Okay, the next two cards are the Grizzly Totems. And we announced these to the community, so I'm definitely not going to go over them again. Go and listen to the most recent Visions of Future Past episode. We even made decks for those cards. And if you liked the fact that we made decks and wanted to talk about the cards kind of in detail, let me know because it was a new thing for us to try out and we really enjoyed doing it. So hopefully you liked it too. I've thought more about them and I think both of these cards pretty decent. And again, maybe in their homes, Min and Silas, but this idea of giving you greater reliability and making your cards go further is something that really appeals to me in this game. It's one of the ways that you can really fight back against the mythos. So yeah, that's those guys. And finally, card design by the Council at Arkham Knights 2017. It is the Council's Coffer, What's in the Box, a unique zero-cost asset for 2 XP with a wild icon. It's item and relic traded, so it can be fetched by Ellie Horowitz. Uses 
one per investigator locks. If there are no locks on the council's coffer, each investigator searches his or her deck or discard pile for any card and immediately plays it at no cost, exile the council's coffer, max once per campaign. So this is a one-and-done mega moment. Double action, test any skill, five. If you succeed, remove one lock. Any investigator at your location may activate this ability. I knew about this card because it was announced at Arkham Knights 2017 when the council designed it. And it seems to me a phenomenal multiplayer card, mainly for the experience of finding it and making it happen. But the more people you include, the bigger the action tax. Do you really want to spend eight actions and try and pass by a four difficulty five tests all for a card? And what card is it you're all looking for? This is one of those cards that, to me, is a demonstration of the scope of this game. I could be in a playgroup where we decide this is what we're going to do last scenario. Someone's going to play Ellie Horowitz, find this out of their deck, spend, you know, four XP on it, say. Say we're three player, we're all going to smash our relevant test. You know, the Mystic will do Willpower 5, the Guardian will do Combat 5, the Rogue will (laughs) hopefully pass something... And the Seeker will do Intellect 5. And then we all get that bomb card we need. The Rogue gets the Gold Pocket Watch. The Guardian gets the Lightning Gun or the BAR. The Mystic gets whatever cool card the Mystic's running. Seal of the Seventh Sign, say. And you're feeling so mighty and you all push through and it's victorious. Like, the story potential is just through the roof incredible. But how often is it actually going to happen? How often in solo am I going to spend 2 XP for a double-action difficulty 5 test to give me one more card. I'm essentially spending three actions to pick a card from my deck. There are other ways of finding the cards I need, or sort of more pertinently, I'm trying to build a deck that doesn't rely on me finding that perfect card. I'm trying to build decks that can handle themselves, no matter what situation I'm in. You know, if I draw a dud hand, that I can draw through that. And this, it, this seems like such a Hail Mary card. So that's that's my hesitation as a player. I don't think that necessarily does down the card. And I think it's the kind of card that, for standalone events, for meeting new players, it's hilarious. And the idea that you could play this, you know, turn one with three people you've never met before, you pop down the council's coffer, four locks on it, and say, well, if anyone wants to do some tests, we can do this. You know, that's that seems a 2 XP well spent for everyone to get a 5 XP card out of their deck or higher XP. So where does that leave me? I suppose that leaves me thinking it's jolly, it's fun. Uh, like I said, the scope of the game, the, the, the op- opportunities for hilarious stories are immense. And whether or not it ends up in a deck anytime soon, I will wait and see. But I'm looking forward to hearing those stories. Okay, and that is the pack. I've smashed it. Uh, I thought this would be a quick episode because there's many cards that we already know about. Uh, I don't know how you know fresh my takes are. I hope you like it though. As ever, I'm on Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com, Drawn to the Flame on Twitter and Facebook. We're on Design by Humans if you want to buy a t-shirt and support the podcast. We're also on Patreon. You can support us on Patreon. We put posts up about what we've been playing and or we think about putting posts up about what we've been playing. We we ask questions to our patrons, and we have a Discord server for our patrons as well to chat about the game and celebrate this game with us. And we're going to be at the UK Gaming Expo, which is at the end of May, last day of May and the first weekend of June. 
Peter's put a lot of that information up on Facebook. If you've not seen it yet, go and take a look. And we'll probably do another announcement closer to the time when I have him on the cast. But we're really excited. It's going to be really cool. We've got some really fun things lined up. So hope to catch you there or at another event in the future. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Thank you.